Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Liz Mealy started doing stand-up at 16, got profiled by The New Yorker at 18, and earned her first TV credit on Comedy Central by the age of 22. Mealy has produced and starred in multiple web series, has written a book, Why Cats Are Assholes, which came out in 2021. She has released four comedy albums, and the video versions of two of them have racked up millions of views apiece on YouTube. In September 2022, she released her newest special, The Ghost of Academic Future, also on YouTube. Mealy sat down with me to talk about being an early adapter of technology and taking risks as a comedian, launching her own tech startup, and adapting to how you never know what or when something might go viral thanks to ever-changing algorithms. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Liz Mealy, last things first, congratulations on your brand new YouTube special, The Ghost of Academic Future. I know you did a live stream when you put it up. How did that feel to be watching it along with like YouTube chatters? Oh, I'm not watching it. I, I, <laughs> I've watched it so many times that it's like I can't like it's it's happening and I have to have it. You can't like completely mute it because people will be like, ha ha ha. And you're like, what are they? Ha ha ha. So just enough. It's loud enough for me to know where in my set I am so that I can respond appropriately to people responding to that joke. But I don't want to hear most of those jokes ever again. I, it's just between writing them, perfecting them, touring them for two years, and then editing and watching it 80 times. I, I actually, I don't know how many people talk about how much you hate your stuff by the time it comes out. <laughs> you don't have a real barometer of what it is anymore because it's so saturated in your mind. So something you originally thought was funny, you're just like, is it funny? I don't even know. And then you just like, even when you think something is cool and crafty, you're like, is it the, like, it's just, it's, I, I, it, you, it skews your perspective. And, um, I learned that with all, all my albums that I've done, but very much when I did the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, I performed my hour every day for 30 days. And <laughs> I always called the law of diminishing returns. Like the first two weeks, you're like, I'm the best I've ever been. And then towards the end, you're like, I'm a robot. And I hate all these words. I never want these words in my mouth again. Like it's just too long and it's too much. And I, you know, there, I really wish I could take some of that because I'm a control freak. And also there's no one else to do that kind of work anyway, right. but there's so much that I wish I could give to somebody else. It's interesting you say that because it's, it's a different dynamic from, you know, you tour this hour on the road, pandemic, notwithstanding you tour this hour doing clubs every weekend. Like you're, you're speaking to me now from, from Colorado where you're, where you're headlining and you might not get as sick of it as fast or it just hits you differently from when you're performing it, say at Edinburgh, where you're in the same room night after night for 30 days. Yeah. I mean, so in the beginning you're perfecting it and you don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. 
that's my favorite part. Like the, the making it better and crafting it and seeing, and like trying something and it working or being like, oh, like the puzzle part of it is my absolute favorite. And then when it starts working, it's like really excited. There's like, there's like a month where you're just like, you feel whatever, like when you feel pretty, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you just, there's like a month where you're just like, I think I'm the prettiest person in the room. Like that's how the jokes make you feel. And then eventually, you know, it's going to work and you start to, it, that feeling of like excitement just diminishes a little bit each time. And then there's certain rooms, the way they react might bring you back up. So you might be at like a 50% of enjoying that joke because you know it works and you know how people are going to react. But sometimes a different reaction or an odd reaction will like, or something weird will happen in the room or even just putting it in a different order or adding a tag to it. There's all these things you can do to kind of rejuge the excitement. But when it's done, done, like it's been filmed and this, there's no way to fix it other than cutting it. And then you watch it 80 times, it, you really, it, it really starts to tank fast in your enjoyment. Do you get any enjoyment then out of recutting it? Because I know you, you found a lot of success in social media, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or even YouTube of cutting up that special into three minute, two minute chunks. Um, It's exciting when a new audience sees it and having different responses like even now with people seeing the whole special a lot of people would be like loved it my favorite jokes were like makeup joke um the audience reaction to that like they'll, they'll list a bunch of stuff and it's all different like it feels like almost no people nobody's repeating the same jokes <laughs> and that's kind of crazy to like if I had to give an assessment of what I think my best bits um and the ones that I th- think from performing them hit the hardest to what people will be like, these are my favorite. That kind of brings back a little bit of the excitement. Same thing. We're putting a clip clip out. It goes viral and more people discover my brand or my sense of humor, or just even this joke specifically Um, there. it, it, It gives more excitement, but I've done this before where like, it's a bit that's dead in my heart. Like I don't even perform it on stage anymore. I'm just using the clip to kind of get, you know, word out about a tour or something and it'll go viral. So mm-hmm. a million people start liking it and being excited about it. And then I'll rewatch it to try to feel how they feel. Uh-huh. And I still can't find it. <laughs> like, so I'd be like, no, I'm just not as excited as these people are because it's, it's just too many years and too much time removed. Right. You're watching the, the massive coverage of the death of Queen Elizabeth and you're going, are London cops really better? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> have you, I, have you learned too, that there's a difference between right now, there's a huge battle going on between Instagram and TikTok. Have you learned there's a difference between the audiences for your, for your clips on that? Well, first of all, I, I, I did well on TikTok when I, when it first, when I first started using it, when it first kind of came out, but they've, they've constricted the algorithm has changed so much and they've constricted the artists so much that a lot of my stuff gets muted. Like I had a video get muted because of copyright infringement. I own all my stuff. So now I'm writing letters to, and it's a robot. So you Mm want to be like, your robot's dumb. I own everything. There's no forward motion to me unmuting this. And when they mute you, it completely, even if they go, Hey, we're wrong, which they've also done. Like I got a bit muted for like violating rules or whatever. And I just say the word sex. It's like a very clean joke. And I just say the word sex. It is not dirty. There's no reason. And they muted it and it was going viral. Like I got like 17,000 views in like genuinely like 20 minutes. And then they muted it. And I was like, why? I just say the word sex. And so they unmute it like an hour later. And then it, 
it stopped. Like there's nothing you can do. So it's like, it's the same restrictions of late night, maybe even more restrictive language and topic wise than late night with none of the benefits. It's like, why? Like, so for me, it's like TikTok sadly is the future and I have to play that game, but I hate it. And I, and I don't want to live in a world like comedy is, and I know it's not just made for comedy, but comedy is about expressing myself without restrictions. And there's too many restrictions on TikTok. So I really do not like TikTok. Instagram is dying for different reasons where they have put too much emphasis on videos, even though that's something that has helped my career. And I'm grateful for the fact that they got rid of IGTV, which I'm long winded, as you can hear me talk right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I have longer bits and my success was in the fact that they opened it up to 10 minutes or more really. Right. And that's where I started to see success. So now that we're back to a minute, minute and a half, I'm back to being restricted and I can't even put a full joke out sometimes. And they are giving so much emphasis to reels that you can't be anybody other than this performer. I hate being on Instagram as a consumer. I've muted half of my friends because I'm like, I can't watch your, I don't even want to watch your bits every day. I want to see a picture of a cat and a rainbow mm-hmm. and, and somebody's earrings that they made. Like all the stuff that I liked as a consumer of Instagram isn't there. And I find myself on it less. So I think both of them have, algorithmically put a stronghold on themselves that I think is going to tank both of them at some point. And you can't, as a comedian, you can't do the tricks that the TikTok stars have done where they just find substitute words like corn for porn or unlived. Yeah, I've already for, said un, it on. Yeah. Unlived for dead. Like the, <laughs> there's all yeah, these and, language tricks. Yeah. And it's just like, what, what hieroglyphics are we doing? Like, what are we doing here? Like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Also, we're all fucking adults. Like, why don't you just put something for like, if you want to, if you're trying to, and it's, it's all because of China and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's just dumb. It's a dumb app. Like all of them are dumb. Like, I'm just so like, I'm grateful for them. I have a career because of them, but I can't tell you how many times I like throw my phone at my bed and I'm just like, this is dumb. I'm <laughs> playing this dumb game. I don't want to be playing. Is is that how you feel as a comedian too? Is that like it's it's a it's a game where you're always trying to adapt? I feel like you've been ahead of the curve on a lot of things, and not just because you started at sixteen. Yeah, yeah, I am, and I and I'm I'm an early adopter of most apps. I experiment with most apps. I've pushed my friends on a lot of these apps because I think being an early adopter, being ahead of the curve, gives you an edge. And I feel that way with with even risk taking in my career. Like I probably went out to Europe before I was ready, but it was something I wanted to do. And I felt like, you know, I'm already, I've already bombed in Ohio, might as well bomb in Belgium. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's, at least my Instagram will look cool. Cause I'll have all these cool pictures and I'll eat chocolate. Like there's a part of me that's also, I think ahead of the curve can be replaced with open to risk-taking because there's a part of me that's like, because there'll be people that'll be like, oh, I put this video up and it got four four views, so I deleted it. Well, you don't know if it'll get views more. You're just embarrassed that you got four views. If nobody saw it, nobody knows it happened. Who gives a shit? So there's also this ability to withstand the uncomfortableness of change and withstand the uncomfortableness of failure that I think actually gives me my edge because the first time I started posting videos on like IGTV, it was like a new thing for IG. I was getting like 400 views. It like wasn't working out, but I kept trying to adapt and see what people are doing. I knew it was 
going to be helpful to me. And then I was one of the first people that started to kind of take off on IGTV because I knew that that was right for me. Same with, with, I've been putting stuff on YouTube. It's so funny how everybody's like now putting stuff on YouTube. I was just, and I, they should, they, I mean, better late than never. The best time to have planted a tree was 40 years ago. The second best time is now, you know what I mean? I, I will never, um, so uh, say, yeah, I'll never <laughs> not say that you should do it. I mean, that's not my quote. No, um, but, you know, uh, I'll never not tell people to do it, even if you're behind the curve. But I do think it's some, sometimes funny where people will be like, Liz is doing well. And I was like, yeah, I've been putting videos on there since like 2007. Like, I've always kind of incorporated YouTube into my life. And I've always kind of used social media, at least in the last 10, 12 years, because in a lot of ways, TV wasn't accepting of me. I got a little bit of TV, but not the same way my friends did. And I refuse to believe that if I'm not on TV, that I don't have value as a comic, especially when our art form is live. So the whole point of TV and now the whole point of social media is to get people to come see you live and to support your career. I still make 50% of my money uh, performing live. I've now kind of been able to get a little bit off the road and make money with royalties from all my albums, make you know money from YouTube, make money from uh, my book. So I, I think if you love to perform, everything should be supporting that avenue. And that's the whole point of TV and the whole point of um, social media, not the other way around to build a fan base and nobody comes to see you live. I mean, who gives a shit? Like that's at least my perspective. I don't, I don't need somebody to tell me I'm funny. I need somebody to go pay $20 and see me be funny. (laughs) That reminds me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you were one of the first, if not the first comedian who, who talked to me about using texting for updates? Well, I, I started a tech, I started a tech startup that yeah. helps comics onboard fans via text onto their mailing list. Yeah. So, there was a, there was a period before the pandemic and I think, yeah. yeah, you probably showed me like you had a different business card and it was, yeah, you, you just text this phone number and then you, you would get real texts from the comedian. And then I saw a bunch of people do it. So mine's a little different. Like there are text-based ways of keeping in touch with comedians. Mine's different. Mine's more just an onboarding app. So basically I have the, I have the code word cats. And if you text cats to my phone number, which is 206-207-5422, you'll get an, you'll get a text that asks for your email. You put Mm -hmm. in your email, then you get a text that asks for your zip code. You put in your zip code and then you'll get a thank you message. My thank you message now is probably something like, Hey, my special's out. Click here to watch it. Follow me on Instagram. You can do that here. So it's like this kind of short little tweet, like thank you message. Then all that information, your email and your zip code goes into a CSV file. And for me, it automatically goes into my MailChimp. So that when I do send out an email for let's, let's do Denver, since I'm here, when I send out emails to people in Denver, it'll only go to people in Denver. So I'll be like, Hey everybody, I'm touring Denver. And then it will go to, because I have that zip code, I'll put that in. It'll find everybody that's within an hour and a half of Denver. And it'll be like, come see me in Denver. So mine's more an onboarding to use my mail, my mailing list. Cause I, I go a lot of, a lot of my decisions are based on me and my gut, which is, I don't really like text-based Texting is still really personal and people are still kind of um, hold their email close to their chest still too. And they don't want it to be spammed up, but I think you're more willing to give away your email than your phone number. And I personally, like I signed up, there's this skincare brand that I love. I love them. I give them my money every two months when I need their skincare stuff and I get alerts with discounts and they're expensive. So I want those discounts, but Mm -hmm. they message me every day. It's like, I just, (laughs) 
bought you. Like I just, but I, like, I want the discounts, but it also, you know, I think it's a friend and then it's not a friend. It's a discount. It's like a fucking, I just bought $200 worth of skincare. I do. No, no. Bioscience. No. Like you're just like, so for me, I've shielded currently away from text-based keeping people in the loop. I might change my mind, but this is just what I've set up for myself. And then I have like 30 comics that use my thing again, to just onboard those emails onto their MailChimp. And how did you decide that was something that you wanted to start yourself? So what was happening, I was touring with Hari Kundabolu for years. He's a really good friend of mine and he had a way bigger fan base. So I'm opening up for him and he would be like signing stuff and selling stuff and we would stand at a table together and I'm bored out of my mind because only like four people are coming up to me and there's literally, we'd stand there sometimes for like two hours Mm -hmm. um, as he's like taking pictures with fans and he had this clipboard for people to sign up for his mailing list. And I noticed there'll be these lines line for hours and he'd get like four signups. So I tied a pencil to the clipboard. And since I had nothing to do, I pushed it to the first person in line and told them to pass it back. So after I did that, he ended up getting like 55 emails and I was like, okay. So then I was like, you know what we should do? We should have these little cards and we should put them on everybody's table and we should tell people sign up. So they're already sitting, they're already waiting for the show to start. So then he started getting more. I started doing it for myself. I started getting them, but then we're doing data entry, like every Sunday after shows and all, a lot of his fans are Indian. So they have these long names with like 18, mm. not like, like, right. you know, um, uh, like it would be like a, and I'm like, is this, is this a real last name? And is that, but I can't read the handwriting. So I don't know. So even when I do get an email, I wasn't getting the correct email because everybody, you know, writes differently. So I was like, how do I fix both the fact that people are waiting in line already on their phones and not signing up. The fact that I don't want to read people's handwriting and half the time I can't, and I don't want to do data entry every Sunday. This is boring. So I was in the UK and I was waiting for a bus and they had this thing that was like, text this number to this number to find out when your bus is coming. And I did it. And so a little pre-populated thing is like your bus is two minutes away. And I was like, Oh, what if I could do that? for people waiting in line or people just waiting for the show. And that's where I approached. um, I had done a tech conference. Like I did like a corporate gig and I had done like kind of a talk more than stand up um, at a tech conference. And I reached out to this guy, I think his name is Brett. It's been years and was like, I have this idea. And so he was the one that was like, this is how you might want to do this. And so then I, he hooked me up with a coder. I used that coder for a little bit, but eventually I ended up going with my friend Reef, when I met him, he was in a band. Um, he was a bass player in a band, but he got into coding and he now codes for, I think, um, the Rolling Stones website or something. But him and another friend of his, this guy Paul, literally made the whole thing for me. And, uh, you know, at first it was just me and Hurry beta testing it. But then eventually I just started telling friends about it. So like Maz Jabrani uses it. Gary Goldman uses it. Um, um, Alonzo Bowden was using it for a while, Carmen Lynch. And it was just something that like, I don't really make a lot of money from it, but I was like, I know this is helping me. I'm getting anywhere from 15 to hundreds of emails per show, depending on the show. Um, and I don't have to do any work and it's building up my mailing list. And that's stronger than social media. Cause all, as we know, social media dies, my space is gone and vine is gone. Facebook is a graveyard. Instagram is going to die soon. Like, so how do I consistently get in touch with people? Let's use something that's evergreen, like email. And do I think again, that I might switch over to text at some point? Probably. But right now, this is, this is where I started looking back. Do I, should I have made it into a company? I don't know. I don't even know what I'm going to do with this company, but at, right now I'm 
for very cheap helping myself and other people. And I already set up the um, code for it. And it's a pretty, it's already kind of set in place that it's probably one of the best things I've ever done. And it's to support myself and my friends. And yeah, I'm just really proud of myself and only like you and like the comics that I've heard about it. And I haven't really asked that many people. It's all been word of mouth. So like, you know, Shane Torres will call me up and be like, you have a tech company. And I'm told I need to ask you about it. And you're like, yeah, of course. And what's even funnier is Gary Goldman is the one, like I'll see Gary and we'll be talking and then he'll turn to somebody and, you know, Gary's like, what, six, five, six, six. And I'm down here and he'll look over at somebody and be like, do you know, Liz has this thing you should sign up for. It's awesome. And then he starts doing the pitch. And I was like, we were talking about alcohol. Like we're like, you are the most intimidating pitch man. I was like, do I have to pay you 10%? Um, So it's been cool. It's like almost like this kind of secret thing about me that, that some people know and, you know, I want more pe- I want to help as many comics as possible. It's, it's funny because, you know, stand-up is a, is a notoriously isolating solo job. And yet you've come up with these things that require a lot of collaboration, whether it's the tech startup or uh, your 2013 animated web series that I neglected to email you back about. <laughs> <laughs> See, I-, I let go of my grudge, but you don't let go of... Uh, of uh- criticism <laughs> it's constructive it's constructive yeah. i thought we had a great conversation <laughs> but, see, but see it comes in handy because now that we're talking almost a decade later i can ask you about that because doing an animated web series i mean even if you have the animation skills yourself there's a lot of collaboration that's involved in absolutely i'm actually like so jealous of jim twos jim twos like has been animating his own stuff and animating stuff for other people. And I just think his stuff is amazing. And I think it's so cool. He can animate for himself. I have no artistic skills. I just like art. I like animation. Um, that again, that was like a risk taking early adopting. I started doing Kickstarter. I thought that would be a great way to raise money to do this thing that I had written. I'd written this, um, animated series, like a script uh, or a pilot, um, actually. And, um, I didn't know, I didn't really have the connections to pitch it. So the next best idea was to try to make like a, te- like, um, basically I did 12 episodes, 12 mini episodes or like web series episodes that when you put it together makes my pilot. So I was just trying to find a unique, unique way of making my pilot so people could see it. And I hired a bunch of, um, animation students. Uh, they were like seniors, um, at Mika. It's a, I'm pretty sure it's Mika. It's a, um, art school in Baltimore. Um, I actually had met them because I performed at their school and I they had stayed in touch and they had been like, Hey, if you have any ideas for stuff. And I was like, I do, I will be contacting you. <laughs> um, and then I did the Kickstarter. It was the first time I realized I had kind of cultivated a fan base because I, my goal was to raise, I think it was like a little under 10 grand and I raised it in two days. Um, so I gave myself 30 days to raise 10 grand and I raised it all and more in two days. Um, so, and, and, you know, was this, it's a success in the smaller version? Absolutely. Um, people watched, it got made, people watched it. I was able to pitch it to people. It's still something I'm really proud of. Did it ever get made in a bigger sense? No, but everything I've done has been a learning experience and everything I've done is built confidence for the next risk taking. And I think doing, doing the, like the regular series I did with Carmen Lynch and my friend, Chris Bongswat, uh, apartment C3 to doing damaged, um, to doing my first album, um, to doing uh, my first 
self-produced special uh, to writing the script I'm currently writing right now, um, uh, writing my book. Like everything has been built off the fact that when I want to do something, I figure it out and I, I, a can do enough on my own, but then when I do need people, I know how to hire people and seek out people. And I think while stand-up itself can be isolating, I have always been friendly and had a lot of friends and utilize my friends and support my friends. And they support me that even though like I was just on tour for almost uh, a month straight and I was checking in on friends, I was, you know, FaceTiming with friends. I was tweeting out, go watch my friend's specials. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still present in people's lives so that I think sometimes people are like, Oh, well, I made all this stuff and nobody's really supporting me. It's like, well, how supportive are you being to other people? My favorite thing is to share the stuff I love. That's how I got into stand up. I literally would like watch Mitch Hedberg. I would tape him on VHS <laughs> when he was repeated. And then I would go to a sleepover and be like, you have girls, you have to watch this guy. He's awesome. And I loved sharing stand up. And I feel like now 20 years into my career, I'm sharing my own ideas, but I, I get so excited like to be like, Oh my God, like, have you seen Josh Gondelman special? He's so funny. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I get to call him my friend. Like I get to these people that I once watched or these people I started with are my friends. And I think that's the coolest part. So I think that collaboration asked like, or even damaged itself. I mean, you mean DC Benny's in it, Jermaine Fowler's in it, Ted Alexandro's in it, Carmen Lynch's in it, Adrian Appalucci's in it. Like, um, um, Maj Jabrani's in it, like people that I admire, I was friends with and people that have blossomed, you know, even since then, um, Joe Mackey's in it. I was like, Joe Mackey, you have a cartoon voice. And he's like, okay, like, you know what I mean? And like, <laughs> right. and that was before he popped off before Jermaine popped off. Like, so I feel hurries in it. Like it, I, I feel cool that I can, impl- I can, uh, use my friends and, and be a part of something that might be parallel to comedy, but not as exactly just stand up. So when the pandemic started, I know you joke quite a bit about it in your new special, The Ghost of Academic Future, but when it started and everything shut down for comedians, did did the pandemic and that time away and that time in quarantine, did that give you pause in thinking about maybe I should have been a veterinarian or? Yeah. <laughs> You were you no, were writing I mean, a book about cats, so true. That's true. It that's was on the I brain. Was doing it. Um, it's funny. My parents have kind of come around because my parents sold their cat, their animal hospital, in November of 2020. And you know, this is two businesses. They had two practices. Um, something they built up for God almost 30 years and are financially set because of it. And my dad was like, "Oh, if we left it to you, we wouldn't actually have." money to show for all our hard work. And so I was like, you're welcome. Like disappointing <laughs> you has really changed your, your retirement at the very least. Right. Um, no, I mean, I don't, I, I, I've, I've never wavered in my love for stand up, and most of my anger and frustration over the years has been due to, I would say immaturity and the, the way the industry presses up against wounds um, and how I feel, how I've felt about myself. And I think as I've matured as a person and matured as a comedian and via good friends 
experiences, therapy, and getting further in my career, I can take different types of rejection with a grain of salt. And so the pandemic, if the pandemic had happened when I was in my 20s, I would have been a mess. And I was still sad and I was still worried and I was still scared, but I would have been, I would have been like, this is happening to me. The whole world shut down. (laughs) Millions of people have died. And I would legit have been like, oh my God, this is happening to me. This is ruining my life. (laughs) And I could see now 37 at the time, what, 35 when this started. um, This sucks. This is not the right time because things were going really well. Um, I do not like this, but we're all in this together. How do I, how can I be supportive of my friends who are going through much harder things? And I had like half my friends were pregnant, got pregnant, like, you know what I mean? Which is like, not the time body. Um, so, you know, it, it, I was able to be there for other people. I was able to pivot. This is actually where I shine, which is, oh, I can't do things the way I usually do them. What's a different way to do it? And that's been my whole career is pivoting and finding different ways. I started and was a part of so many cool things I would have not done if I was. And I learned so much about myself. I suppose it helps too that you did have that first special that you filmed it already in in the the bag, right? That we filmed at the end of 2019 that you could release during the pandemic. And you've been able to see some fruits of that. I mean, at least in terms of the validation of view counts, you know, over over a million and a half people have, have watched self-help me. And I quadrupled my fan base. Like, I mean, I think I had 15 or 20,000, subscribers when I released it. And now I'm close to 85. Um, I, I put out an old, my album, emotionally exhausting, which I filmed, I want to say 2014. I don't remember, but it's at least eight or nine years old. I put the video of that out in March of 2020. Cause it was my 18th comedy anniversary and it had been two weeks of the pandemic and we were stuck inside. And I just wanted to prove to the people I was trying to sell my special to that. I had a fan base. I mean, that has almost 3 million views. I, 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 that's not, I did more than I, that's not half of that's not even me. I'm just like, Whoa. And then that (laughs) supported me putting out my my actual special when I knew I had to put it out on YouTube. And that has 1.5 million views again, completely unexpected. Um, Because of that special, I now have an agent and a manager, two things I didn't have at the beginning of the pandemic. Really funny to get them in, October of 2020 when there was nothing for any of them to do, but I ended up doing more self tapes and, and, and auditioning more and booking some stuff. Um, clearly now I'm touring again. Uh, um, I've finished a script and my manager and lit agent are helping with that. So like it, it was self-producing that special self-releasing that special. Um, um, and everything from behind it that I did on my own, it everything builds on itself and I am where I am because of the risks I took not even 10 years ago, but probably when I was 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. But if you were 16 now, I'd be dead. (laughs) Do you think you'd still be clamoring to get to the comedy clubs in New York city? Or do you think you would have focused on all this video social inner inter- I mean if I was a 16 year old in 2020 I mean yeah. I bet you I'd be making video I wouldn't be dancing I would be like trying to tell jokes and stuff which is I mean there's tons of embarrassing stuff on me on the internet but thank god I didn't grow up 16 with the with the internet like that I mean I really I joined 
MySpace, I must have been 1920. Because I think I joined Facebook when I was, I joined Facebook for a boy. So I think I was 21 or 22 when I joined Facebook. So I think I was on MySpace when I was like 20. Um, and I didn't know how to use them. And, I, and it was just a thing you did to connect with your friends. It wasn't until I started using it as a tool for comedy that it kind of changed the game for me. And it's still like, I still, I like, I like, to, you know, liking pictures of babies. Half the accounts I follow are cat accounts. But most of these things are a work tool. Like I would not be on Facebook right now if I didn't use it to sell tickets. When we spoke... Uh, in 2016, I asked you one of the questions I was asking everybody back then was like, where do you, where do you want to see yourself in five years? Of course, in 2016, we didn't know that five years would include the Trump administration and a pandemic. But one of the, but what you told me back then was you liked what you were doing. You just want to be paid more. And you thought, well, if I could be tri-coastal being in New York, LA and London, that would be amazing. Having said all that, how are your goals different now? Well, I accomplished all of them, which is pretty dope. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I'm almost in the exact same place. I want to be doing what I'm doing now, but paid more. I want to be doing what I'm doing now and have uh, more creative outlets. I want to continue to build my fan base and reach more people and have um, more say about where things go and, and more money. But I am, I always, I've been telling people this for a couple of years now. If this is it, if I peaked, if I'm, I'm not going to make another fan. This is exactly, I've reached the top of my success. Pretty happy. They're pretty good. I'm pretty proud of myself. I, if this is, I just stay this, the course, the, the rest, it's a pretty good life. And I'm really grateful. So I try to keep with that being grateful and and then also finding different ways to push myself and challenge myself and find different ways to express myself creatively. That's been a book. That's been web series. That's been, um, uh, uh, scripts and, and writing. Um, but, and I did a podcast. Uh, we literally just ended a almost two and a half year podcast, uh, this week. Um, so I think for me, I just want to keep challenging myself and I would like to pay for more stuff with my money. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liz Mealy, I'm grateful that you uh, took time out of your, your touring to sit down with me. And it's, uh, it's been a joy to know you all these years and to follow your career. And uh, I look forward to seeing where you go next. Thanks buddy. I'm grateful that I know you and that I've been able to harass you for over 10 years. How nice is that? <laughs> it's pretty nice. Yeah. We've been annoying each other for a long time. And I think that's really, I think it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's love. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.